brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Here's your host, Alex Garrett. The former president of the United States of America has created and spread a web of lies about the 2020 election. He's done so because he values power over principle. Well, I played it for you Thursday. It's the Sunday pod, and I want to kick this up again in 2022 because I feel like the Sunday is going to be the time to talk about all the news because obviously there's one thing after the other. And yes, this is the big story to me of the week that President Biden woke up out of nowhere and, you know, bashed Trump. And I made the point that he basically said what, and maybe my next guest would agree, a lot of us were thinking is that Trump does have responsibility for January 6th. And so Jeff Mordock, White House correspondent for the Washington Times, welcome back, friend. Happy New Year. Thanks, Alex. It's always good to come on. Happy New Year. It's our first show of the New Year, so that's very exciting. Now, I know a lot of the Washington Times is conservative-leaning, but can we agree that President Biden said what even Laura Ingram and Sean Hannity of Fox News were texting people that day, hey, tell Trump to stop these riots. So even they were blaming him through text messages. So I feel like Biden just said what everybody was thinking on Thursday. What do you think? Well, I think I, 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 there are a lot of people. I mean, Trump's role is very debatable. In this. I, I've, you know, I've seen people argue it both ways. What I find so interesting is that this, as you pointed out at the, at the intro, this sort of came out of nowhere to some degree because he has been very hesitant, and uh, President Biden has been very reluctant and very hesitant to criticize President Trump. And this was the uh, most forceful criticism we've ever seen a president um, lay into another former president. Um, I mean, this was kind of a very stunning rebuke. And I think the way we should look at it isn't so much is he saying that everybody's thinking, but rather is he setting up the campaign for 2024? He has signaled he wants to run again. President Trump has signaled he wants to run again. And is this is this is this instead of saying what people are thinking? Is this a rallying cry for the 2022 midterms in the 2024 election? Is this what he wants to do? He's going to make Trump in January 6th the main campaign issue. Which I disagree with because I would say that there's a lot more issues to deal with than January 6th. Okay, we have the committee, and I I personally think we need to look into what exactly went down that day, to be honest. I know many on the conservative don't agree with that, but I think it's just we have to have this committee and figure it all out. But there are a lot more to focus on, like how we're going to get rid of COVID. And that response to COVID contrast with this is less forceful, is it not? Because he's just saying, well, now the federal level can't help you at all. It's just, it's very weird messaging coming out of the White House where we focus on one thing, but not on the bigger picture also. Well, I would agree with you. There's a lot of other issues. I think at the end of the day, Americans aren't, I think Americans want to get to the bottom of January 6th. I think they want to know what happened, who was responsible, 
make sure that whoever is responsible and people who misbehaved are punished for that. But getting to the bottom of January 6th isn't going to put food on people's table. It's not going to improve the, improve the economy. It's not going to make COVID go away. And you have to ask yourself, if this is what President Biden is intending to make the campaign issue in the midterms, um, that really might be a problem for him because people want to know what you're going to do for that. And I don't know what getting to the bottom of January 6th does for the American people. I think we, I agree with you. I think we need to get to the bottom of this. I think we need to know who did what. And I think, you know, if anybody at a higher level is responsible or incited this in any way, absolutely, they need to be punished and they need to have an appropriate punishment. But I just think, you know, 2024 is going to be, you know, three years away from January 6th to 2021. You know, 2022 midterms are going to be, uh, you know, almost two years away. I just don't see the American people focusing on this. And, and I think this points to a problem with President Biden is you look at the jobs numbers we had today uh, that were released by the Labor Department. They were extremely disappointing. And it's one of the most disappointing jobs numbers we've seen in a very, very long time. And it's also the second straight month of very disappointing job numbers for the president. Uh, he had to scrap his Build Back Better agenda. Now, we can debate whether this was a good thing or a bad thing. Well, I obviously disagree on it, but he had to scrap that. We're no closer to, uh, we're no closer to uh, eliminating COVID from our daily lives than we were when he started. Hmm. So the only thing he really has right now that he can run on is his infrastructure bill. Do you want to look at what is the president's accomplishment that gives him something to run on? He gives Democrats something to run on in 2022. It's his infrastructure bill. But the problem with the infrastructure bill is shovel-ready projects are, not, are never shovel-ready. So you have to go through so much red tape before the government gets this money out. You have to go through so much red tape for the local uh, states and local municipalities to apply to it. You have to go through so much red tape. By the time we start seeing gains from this, you know, we, we may not, President Biden may no longer be president. By the time we start seeing gains and improvements from this, you know, we, we could be two presidents down the road, um, depending on what happens in 2024. Probably by the time we start seeing the benefit from this, it's going to be closer to the end of this decade. But the reason and why I Manchin didn't want to vote for it was there was no benefit, I thought, to this infrastructure. Well, you're, well that's for the Build Back Better agenda. I'm strictly talking about the infrastructure bill that oh. did pass. Well, and luckily, uh, I only did the 3.1 because that was what the whole debate was, whether they say one and a half or, or 3.1, which would have been crazy. It might be the 3.1 trillion. Right, it would go, especially at a time when inflation is out of control. And inflation doesn't seem to be an issue. So right now, the American people, they're worried about inflation. They're worried about job creation. They're worried about, you know, they're frustrated that, you know, Christmas came and they had a hard time getting presents or had a order presents in October in order to have Christmas. Uh, they're frustrated that COVID is still impacting their daily lives. I don't know that they're frustrated about January 6th. I think President Trump's, uh, excuse me, President Biden's base is frustrated by January 6th, but I don't think the American people pay that much attention to it anymore. So if he's going to make a campaign issue, I don't know that that's a wise strategy, but it sounds like that was the yesterday to make this the centerpiece of 2022 midterms and 2024 election. Jeff, I gotta, I gotta bring this up because I've been mentioning it over the week. Um, mm -hmm. Did you know about this presidential initiative for democratic renewal? 
The Biden administration is going to, according to AtlanticCouncil.org, lay out $424.4 million to bolster democracy and defend human rights globally. Defending human rights globally is great, but uh, shouldn't some of that money be defending our election integrity here or ensuring election integrity? Now, what I mean by that is just ensuring voter confidence, because coming into 2022, there's like half the country that has no voter confidence, yet they're bolstering other people's countries to make sure they have voter confidence. I don't know. If you want to do something, put some money where your mouth is right now in, in the election integrity department in the America in America. Well, I agree. And I think, you know, I, uh, the, the initiative is, is there's a lot with the initiative. I haven't had a chance to read through all of it yet um, to, to really have a solid view of, of how effective or ineffective it's going to be. But I think with, but you're right, we, we are ignoring, you know, election security. And that brings us back to President Biden's speech yesterday where he talked about accepting election results. You know, debunked, obviously, a lot of President Trump's unverified claims that the election was rigged, which, you know, he's never offered any proof of. Nothing. You, you, nothing. And, and also, you know, President Biden did correctly point out that President Trump's claims of false election have been disputed by, you know, Attorney General William Barr, who looked into it, you know, um, Mike Pence, um, a lot of close Trump allies who, who have disputed that. So to the point about we need to trust democracy, we need to have faith in democracy, uh, maybe we should start putting a little more money into election security so that we can, when, if you know, the situation repeats itself with the president of any party making claims of election fraud, they can be much more easily disputed and you know, we have more confidence in the election. I mean, I think that's one of the problems. I think that is something President Biden tried to tap into yesterday, but missed the point is how America, you know, doesn't have confidence in their election. It's a surprising number of people. I forget what the statistics are. It's a surprising number of people who don't believe the 2020 election is valid. And, I mean, that's sad because we want to live in a country where we believe our results. I mean, that's just how. Now, right. can the administration, from your viewpoint, being in the White House every day, can they do something about making sure votes are counted election day? That's my big thing with this is why do well, it's a state issue that that's that's the problem with getting the votes counted is the elections are at the state level. They can give the states money to ensure that at the end of the day, this is what's it's, it's up to the states to make sure all this stuff it happens. And the last thing you want to do is federalize the um federalize our elections and give the federal government control over mm -hmm. it because as we've seen the federal government you know does not run things well and would um, that make us a banana republic up. if that becomes the case or uh, I, i'm sorry you cut out there i didn't w hear your question would that make us a banana republic if that becomes the case if the federal if the elections are federalized well, I think if the elections are federalized, which I don't think will ever happen, but if the federal government gains more control over elections, which will happen with these democratic packages um, that we've got, um, that, that they're pushing, that the voter reform bills that they're pushing, if we have that, I think it's going to lead to more uncertainty because everybody's going to point to the party in charge that's counting the votes, whether it's Democrat or Republican, and say, well, they, they fixed it for their, um, for their party. You know, I've got to ask you because I'm sure you were in the press conference where Biden melted down when someone mentioned Joe Manchin. He kind of went off on them. And it's like, 
the two names you don't want to mention and put in President Biden, unless you want to wake them up, is Biden and and uh, is Trump and Manchin at this point, wouldn't you say? Yes, and, and you know, with Manchin, I, I think it's interesting because the White House, well, they're, ex- they're exasperated with Manchin and they're frustrated because he did kill Bill back better. At the same time, they keep telling us that the president and Joe Manchin are longtime friends, that they're continuing to talk, that they're – so it's, it's another mixed message from the White House. And uh, were you at the press conference, by the way, when he melted down? Because there was a reporter that asked him about Manchin, and he's like, you know, families need to have – it's about dignity. Like, he just went off on that reporter. I don't know if you were in the room when that happened. I, I was. I was there for that. And that dignity speech, he's given that before, not not as forceful, but that is one of his points that he likes to repeat when he uh, when he tries to push his bills, that this is about dignity, it's about equity, um, things like that. I'm sure as one House correspondent for the Washington Times, you only follow the president, but the vice president also to an extent. So she made an appearance yesterday before Biden, and I heard that she was pushing voting rights. Well, talking about January 6th, what, what can you tell us about Kamala Harris's speech yesterday? Well, yes, um, a couple of things. She did push Jen, she did uh, push voting rights, but that's not surprising. I mean, President Biden touched on it a little bit. And it goes back to what I said earlier about this is their strategy for the midterms, and this is their strategy for 2024, that he is going to push, that they are going to tie voting rights to January 6th. And label it all has one giant threat to democracy that only the Democrats can fix. And that if you vote for Trump, or let's, let's assume it is President Trump, although obviously it could be Tom Cotton or somebody else, if you vote for them, uh, you are basically enabling the extremists and the threats to democracy who rioted in the Capitol on January 6th. Well, that is interesting. Taking off your journalistic cap, for a second, as an American, Jeff, tell us your personal feelings about this, because I'm sure you also have some stuff that you don't write about that maybe you want to talk about on this podcast right now. Because Well, as a journalist, I don't have personal opinions. I always have to look at everything, so um, I don't, you know, I, I don't really have any personal views on things because that leads to um, – that leads to leading into your articles, which mm-hmm. I, I very much try to avoid. Interesting. So you don't. Interesting. So I, I guess I'd have to be in the Murdoch dinner table to figure out your actual thoughts on what's going on. There. <laughs> well, well, come on over sometime. Hey, I gotta ask you this because the White House made an announcement that they're gonna partner up with the U.S. U.S. Postal Service, and it's something I've been to cover uh, to talk about Sidney Portier's dead. By the way, that just broke. Another actor in a week dying. That's crazy. Anyway, there was a lot of deaths this week. Uh, John Madden, Betty White, um, Harry Reid. Were, were you involved with Harry Reid at all? But did you ever cover no, him? No, no. He had retired before I started working at the Times. So, uh, no, I, I had not covered Harry Reid at all. I will be paying attention to President Biden's speech today. Uh, I'm sorry, tomorrow. He will be speaking at Harry Reid's funeral. Well, that will be a huge, uh, a huge thing. Because obviously he was senators with him for a long time, wasn't he? Yes, and um, you know the president spoke at yeah, speaking of another celebrity passed away, Bob Dole uh, spoke at Bob Dole. So this is the second major funeral he's had to speak at in the last two, two last, to the last month, uh, last couple of weeks. He's second funeral in a row. 
do you think he has the energy that people were mocking him for not having and we just didn't know it? I mean, I feel like he's all over the place, actually. Uh, well, the president travels a lot more than people realize. I mean, I'm on travel duty, and he's traveling this week. For example, today, he's flying out to Colorado. Then from Colorado, he's flying into Las Vegas, and then he's going to give the speech. And I'm not sure. I, I believe he fly, he's flying back to uh, to Delaware, and then we'll come back to the White House. The president does travel a lot more than, than and it's true for any president, than people realize, because I don't think people pay that much attention to it unless he comes to your hometown. But during, when he was trying to get Build Back Better passed, uh, President Biden was in, I mean, he was all over the country. He was crossing the country in a lot of swing states, pushing for, for putting, trying to put pressure on voters to put pressure on their politicians to uh, support and get behind Build Back Better. And if you look at where he went, it was, you know, Pennsylvania, it was Ohio, uh, Michigan, uh, Colorado. So a lot of the swing states. I remember that Michigan one because he was up there and, uh, it, you know, in every uh, president visit Michigan, it's kind of noteworthy every time it seems like. Uh, anyway, Jeff, i got to ask you this. So do you know much about this initiative at the White House and the Post Office? are now going to make sure at-home tests are delivered, I guess, faster. I'm not sure the exactly, exactly the wording of it, but I know that they're partnering up to figure out how to get in-home tests out, because that's been under fire a lot this week. Well, it has. I mean, because they announced it. The, the administration announced in-home testing before they had the um, before they had the contract in place. And that has really held up, because I think people were expecting it to come in um I think people were expecting it to come in and as soon as they announced it and uh, that set up expectations and perhaps the White House should have waited a little bit. I think they were looking for good news. I think they were looking for um, for a way to look like they were out in front of COVID and I think they um, – I, I think they jumped the gun a little bit on it is what I, what I would want to say. Well, and I know that it got a little testy in, in the White House briefing when Jen Psaki was asked about it. I mean, it's been hitting hard, hitting the White House hard that they're sort of behind this on this uh, COVID response, hasn't it? Uh, they have, and it's, it's starting to raise some questions because I think the administration doesn't want to admit it, but President Biden, you know, ran on a campaign of eradicating and eliminating uh, the COVID virus. And now it seems like what they're interested in is managing it and making sure that, you know, keeping it like the flu, where instead of a pandemic, maybe it goes down to a lower level, uh, an endemic, um, rather than trying to eradicate it, which was what he ran on and what the administration's initial goal was. They won't say that, and people have asked Jen Psaki that question in the briefing room, and she was kind of demures, kind of, you know, uh, won't really come out and say that, but I think that's pretty clear. All right, uh, Jeff, you're in the Beltway, Jeff Mordock of the Washington Times. You're in the Beltway, and you live around there. I-95 mess, is there any involvement the White House wants to have to figure out how that mess happened, or is that a state issue? It's a state issue. It's, it's the state, state of Virginia is responsible. If you look at how it happened, all those levels are at the state. Uh, and it's not an issue that that would impact the White House or that the White House shouldn't receive 
any blame or credit for for, for that matter. It certainly just got out of her. Did you have any urine stuck on it, right? I'm guessing. No, I was not. I was, uh, well, I, I get around to bring Metro. I rely very heavily on the Metro system. Um, and also, I, I don't live in Virginia, too, which is the all right. Yes, you live on the ice. It's uh well, then you're lucky because I know that was a disaster to watch just on the outskirts of Washington D.C. I mean, my God. Yeah, I mean, even um, Senator Tim Kaine. I mean, there's a guy who's a pretty powerful U.S. senator, former vice presidential candidate, and he was stuck in there. I think he was stuck in there for, I think it was like nine or ten hours. Um, it, yeah, it was pretty intense. It makes you realize we're all pretty much human at the end of the day. Label aside, no. I agreed that whether you're a Democrat or Republican or what senator or work somewhere else, you're you're stuck in that traffic. It's, yeah. You meant you meant, you started out this conversation about the jobs report. And by the way, I've been on CNBC a lot because they've got the best coverage on this. Two hundred thousand. We're supposed to get four hundred thousand in. I'm sorry, one hundred ninety nine thousand, not even two hundred thousand. But with so low, it's like. <laughs> How do they explain it over the weekend? I feel like they just can't explain something like that over the weekend. And there's no encouragement for jobs to hire either. I feel like the messaging is just kind of COVID, 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 and the lack of response on it. But there's no, hey, jobs, you better hire, you know, companies better hire. Instead, let's mandate you to make sure everybody's vaccinated. There's no encouragement to actually hire from the White House. Is that right? Well, it's just a little complicated. Uh, first off, the uh, jobs first of all, the jobs report today was a big disappointment. Um, uh, it was without a doubt the worst jobs report of the year, the worst jobs report of President Biden's presidency, and one of the worst jobs reports we've seen in a very long time. It also comes on the heels of a very disappointing jobs report in November. So now you've got back-to-back disappointing jobs reports. They were expecting, I think the number was we were going to create 422,000 jobs. We created about 199,000 jobs. So we even created about half, less than half of what we had expected. That is just uh, unbelievable. And it's, it, you got to wonder what has to happen. I mean, is this the White House's responsibility? Well, to get I the, job the, White House, the problem with the White House is, is, is a couple things, that they're mismanaging the economy. First of all, they're pitching all these government spending products, which, as we all know, government spending fuels inflation. So the inflation is strangling the economy. Um, you know, some of these COVID restrictions, the, the supply chain crisis is, is strangling the economy. The fact that we haven't been able to get a handle on COVID is strangling the economy. And the Biden administration keeps pitching spending, spending, spending. One of the things I find really interesting about this administration is it seems like their solution to almost every problem is to spend money. Uh, there's no solution here that does not involve massive amount of government spending. And what I find so is so that's part of the problem, and that fuels inflation. We're seeing you know a little bit of gains in payrolls, but those gains are being laid out by inflation. So that's part of the problem. The and other they kind problem, of joke about the inflation, don't they, when they ask about it? They 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 have insisted it was transitory. And it's, it's, it's hilarious, actually, how long they have insisted it's temporary. It is the longest temporary thing ever. Um, it, it, they, they, and, you know, that's going to be a big embarrassment for them, the way they claimed it would be 
it would be a uh, the way they claim that this is going away soon, and, and it never did. That that's amounts to a big, big embarrassment for them. But here's the other issue here is that the administration won't tackle it. There's things they can do to stabilize the economy. First of all, there has to all these regulations on small businesses. You know, they can start lifting some of the paperwork. Their vaccine mandate has really damaged small business. They haven't been able to get a hold of it. But the problem with they, they could bring in the government spending. But instead of doing those things, they keep coming back with these they, they keep blaming COVID and bizarrely enough, the meat industry. Um, because if you look at this administration, what they keep blaming our economic woes, rising prices and inflation is not the rampant government spending, which it is, but rather they keep saying, well, it's price consolidation and pandemic profiteering from all of these industries. And they've declared war on the meat industry. They've declared war on uh, book publishers. They've declared war on the oil and gas businesses, especially the meat industry. The meat industry is very baffling to me, the way this administration is just declared. It's just odd, I would say, the way that they've randomly decided, well, we're going to go after the meat industry. So what the administration has been arguing is that the meat industry, that there's four business, that there's four main businesses that control the meat industry, which is accurate, and that they're saying that that has led to a monopoly and that is increasing prices. That mm. part is not accurate. The, 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 the four industry, the four companies that control that industry, they've controlled the industry for 30 years. So you got to ask yourself, why is this a problem when it hasn't been a problem for 30 years and we've gone through both Republican and Democratic administrations that have never raised this issue before? And the real reason we're seeing beef and meat prices rise is when food prices are rising overall. But when we shut down restaurants during the COVID, during, during the height of COVID, beef demand and meat demand dropped because people weren't going out to eat. So farmers were left with a lot of excess cattle they didn't know what to do with, and they thinned and cold their herd. And then at the same time, you had all these issues where there were plants that had been shut down due to COVID. I mean, all of this stuff. Right. Yes, yeah, that's also around. a factor. And yeah. now restaurants have opened up. People are going out to eat again. Demand has surged. They're trying to get their herd back up, but now they're dealing with a labor shortage. And they're trying to get um, – they're trying to they got to pay more people to get them in and they're doing they're, they're trying to deal with the labor shortage and as a result that's what's sending the prices north and there's the problem for that's that's what's raising meat prices it is not consolidation it is not profiteering it is not what the administration tells us it, it, it is and it's just bizarre the way they've just taken on this one industry and just decided to demonize them. And we've had multiple speeches, multiple White House events going after the meat industry. Let me ask you, it seems allowed? like that this is always a way to scapegoat other people and blame other people for their mishandling of inflation. Do they ever allow questions from folks at the Washington Times? Have you ever been asked? Able, able to ask one question at least to them? Or? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I, I get called on. Um, I, yes, I, I get called on. I get called on fairly regularly. I do get to get my questions in. So, yes.
Uh, that's a good sign then. So mm-hmm. the, the other thing I was going to ask you was, um, no, this, this meat thing, I saw an article on that the other day too, that they're just declaring war. So instead of scapegoating, not that they're ever going to really listen, but what would you advise them to do at this point if you were advising uh, the president to fix all of this mess, which can't be fixed in a day, obviously. But. Well, I think they need to rein in the government spending. I think they need to rein in the government spending. Uh, they're passing all kinds of rules that are putting strangleholds on small businesses. Uh, they, they need to step back from those rules. Um, I, I think that's what they need to do. Um, and I think that will start the economy. I think this vaccine mandate, I don't think it's helping because, for example, you've got the supply chain issue. Um, and you've got truckers who don't want to get vaccinated, and they're sitting outside. I do understand the need to be vaccinated. I would encourage everybody to get vaccinated. I think getting vaccinated is the only way we are getting out of this mess. But when you're starting to mandate it, you've got to figure out a way to deal with some of the uh, people who are going to now choose to be out of the labor force. And that's something they they have not come to terms with yet. No, because 4.4 million quit in September, and there was no answer for that, was there? No, and they keep it, you know, and, you know, they're finally eliminating, they're finally, they're finally cutting back on the government support of these people who voluntarily removed themselves from the labor market. Um, and, you know, hopefully that will start to help, but there's still a lot of people out there enjoying the government benefits. And there's, there are people out there who remove themselves from the workforce because of COVID and other reasons, have legitimate reasons not to come back. I don't want to paint a broad brush here. But, you know, there's certainly there's certainly more we can do to get people back into the labor force. Okay, how, how is Biden going to maintain union relationships after telling the union members, hey, you're going to be fired if you're not vaccinated after a certain uh, I point? I wouldn't worry about that. The unions love him. At the end of the day, they're going to vote for him. I know there's this little tiff right now. He's the most pro-union president we've had in history. They're not going to go for a Republican ever. Biden can do whatever he wants, everything he does. I mean, and he's done a lot of stuff that are against the unions. I, well, for example, here, here's a quick example. So if you buy a, a tax, if you buy a electric vehicle, you get a tax credit. If you buy an electrical vehicle made in a union shop, you get a larger tax credit. So I, I forget exactly what the numbers are, but I think it's roughly... The different you can take, I think two thousand two thousand five hundred uh, as a tax credit if you buy an electric vehicle. You can bring that up to buy an additional one thousand five hundred bucks. Um, I believe those numbers are correct, although I, I do need to double check. If you buy it from a union shop, um, so there's just another gift to unions. No, I, I know this is a tap, but I, he, he he can have this because his relationship is so strong with you. So they're not going to vote for the Republican. And he is the most pro, unabashedly pro-union president we have had in recent memory. So does that mean some of these unions that are sort of outraged he has his mandate on their is fake outrage? Or? I don't think it's fake outrage. I think they're legitimately annoyed, but I think at the end of the day, they realize they're better off with Biden than without Biden. Well, Jeff, we'll have to figure out how all this falls uh, falls into place or falls apart. I don't know how this is going to go in 2022. Let's hope it somehow falls into place because we always want this any administration to be beneficial for America. We never want to root for them to fail at all. So we got to hope it falls into place and they get it right. 
Right. Exactly. Yes. Um, and you know, maybe, maybe we'll see. I mean, there's, I mean, you know, we're only a year into this administration. There's three, three more years for things for them to start turning things around. And I do think they turn things around. You know, I think we'll see Mr. Biden's approval ratings go up. But you know, right now, Mr. President Biden's approval ratings are not, not, not good at all. Hey, I got some interesting news for you because I know you're a big baseball fan. You know, mm-hmm. top baseball cards. They've just partnered with Fanatics, this sports uh, clothing company, to make better baseball cards and more designs. Maybe that'll inspire Major League Baseball to get off their butts and actually work out a deal so there's no lockout this year. I would hope so. Um, I, I would hope so. I think we're all rooting for uh, not a lockout. Um, we're all rooting for the season to be started. You know, what, what I feel bad for is a lot of these players coming off that 60, don't get me started on the 60 game season of 2020, <laughs> but you're coming off of the 60 game season of 2020. Do you want another labor shortage? You're already falling behind baseball. I'm sorry, you're already falling behind basketball and football. It's the third most popular sport in the country. Do you want to do any damage, further damage to it? And one thing I will say here, I'll give a personal opinion on something. I was very disappointed in how the rules changes and how they handled competitive baseball. I felt like hockey, which I do follow hockey pretty closely, basketball and football did some minor tweaks, but they were still able to put a product on the field or on the court or on the ice that mirrored what you would get in a non-COVID year. Whereas baseball, I felt like they just threw something out there just you know so they could get the TV revenue and not really care what that did to the integrity of the game. For example, the universal pH, or starting a runner on second. Um, those things were just nonsense. Well, what about 2021? Did you like anything from that, or, or not as much? Well, I like that we started getting back to what we, we started getting back to, but I'm still not thrilled with, uh, you know, the uh, to throw to three batters rule. Uh, you know, I, I don't know that speed of the game is the game's problem. I would argue expense and the expense of going to a game is the game's problem. But, you know, we could do a whole other podcast. Oh, yeah. That, in my opinion, is a raw Manfred baseball. Don't, don't tell Manfred or the owners that, uh, that that's the issue because they, won't, they won't listen. Hey, uh, well, the problem is with, with this, players' union, what really bothers me here is you've got the players' union looking out for the players. You've got Rob Manfred and the owners looking out for themselves because Rob Manfred's a tool of the owners. So, I mean, he's, he's, he's a tool of the owners. So what I wonder is who is out there looking at baseball, looking out for baseball at large? Who is out there looking for baseball in baseball's best interest? And I just don't see anybody out there doing that, and that worries me. Well, uh, I don't think you're alone. And by the way, one last thing. They said all the rules, well, fans did anyway. Hey, you know, this was COVID rules. Why not just go back to no runner on second and a regular extra innings because that's what baseball is, right? So let's all forget Right. Well, they are. I mean, they are. They're starting to roll back some of these COVID rules. But I'm worried the universal DH will come because I think that's a terrible idea. Oh, it's going to be bad. I don't care. I know it's going to be long as a Yankee pitcher got hurt in in Houston when they were when he was uh, running the bases. But at the end of the day, that's what divides both leagues. That's the difference maker right there. Right, that on. gives you the variety. That gives you, you know, if we're just going to make everything the same, why don't we just blow everything up? I, I, I don't think it's a good – I understand why they're pushing for it. I really do. Um, but I, I think, you know, the game has a tendency of fixing itself over time, and I think these issues will work themselves out. If you go through the history of baseball, 
and, and you look at some of the issues that have plagued it, you know, the gambling in the early 1900s, the steroid era of the 1990s, baseball has always found a way to sort of police and fix itself. Yeah, and now uh, Houston losing a couple times doesn't hurt either because that's, uh, that's a good thing, I think. Anyway, thanks, Jeff, for joining us today and keep us updated with what's going on in the White House, and we'll reach back out soon. Great. Thanks, Alex. Really appreciate it. Look forward to talking with you. That was Jeff Mordock of the Washington Times, White House correspondent on Alex Garrett Podcasting. We'll talk with you guys soon.